You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. How are you doing listeners? Are you doing okay? It's good to see you here once again. And we have a great show ahead of us and we are going to really enjoy talking this week. We are looking at the music of James Bond. Get your dinner jacket out, get your Aston Martin, get your martini shaken, not stirred. That's right, folks. We are going to talk all about the music of James Bond. We've talked about Bond multiple times on the podcast in the past, but we've just never really dove headfirst into the music of the show. And it should be a lot of fun to find out, you know, what some of our favorites are, what some of our least favorites are, and we'll even talk about some of the canceled themes that they have out there. It's going to be interesting to do, and it's going to be great. We have a great crew to talk about it. But of course, let me introduce my co-host for this man this week. This man does not need a introduction this man has a license to kill and i better be nice to him because he might take it out on me sometime <laughs> let's say hey to mr mike gordon howdy that's gordon <laughs> mike gordon exactly are you ready to do some cards and you know with the cigarette hanging out of your mouth i am ready to crank up the tunes uh, crank it up to 007 it should be a lot of fun it should be a lot of fun to do how are you this week I'm all right. Everything going okay? You're surviving? Surviving. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. That's the new it word of the week is, are you surviving? And finding out, you know, how you're doing it, how's everybody doing it. We definitely would love to hear from you guys at home, see how you guys are surviving. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. Of course, you know, we couldn't do the show without our fine folks at our Patreon. Patreon folks, we have to thank you guys so, so much. You know, without you guys, we would, you know, we'd still be here, but it'd be, things would be a lot tighter. Things would be, you know, not, we wouldn't be able to put on the lights, as we like to say. So we'd be doing the podcast in the dark. But, you know, as some of us people say, if we've listened to our show, <laughs> we might be have done the podcast in the dark for years already. So it's okay. But we definitely would love to, you know, have more people join in with us. We have exclusive material out there. Uh, our fine friends at the Watchathon from Rassilon just put up an exclusive mini episode of Doctor Who Talk, and it's available to patrons. All you have to do is throw a couple bucks in each month, and you know, you get really exclusive material, including stuff like from our different shows on the ESO network or the exclusive new show called the ESO Board Silly Podcast. That's right. And it's number four just came out and it's only available to the patrons. It's not going to eventually go up onto the network or anything, or it's not even going to be, you know, available eventually to everybody on Patreon. Nope. You have to become a member of the ESO Network Patreon to hear stuff like that. But you also get bonus material. You get ESO window stickers. We are coming out with I Survive the Geek Seat Magnets. And those are going out very soon to our patrons. So it should be really cool. And you know what? For certain levels, you could actually take a shot at 
being in the geek seat. So it's pretty darn awesome. And, you know, for if you do the high upper level, you could even host one of our podcasts. I think that's pretty awesome. Have you ever wanted to be on a podcast for, you know, our $15 level? You get to be on one of our podcasts and be one of the hosts. And it's not just Earth Station One. It could be most any of the shows on the ESO network if you're interested. Hell, I'm sure even Kevin would let you have some iced coffee in Chicken Town if you're nice enough to him. So you never know. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. Check it out, folks. It's definitely worth it. Of course, the show is brought to you by the fine folks at Tofosi Optical. Hi, Tofosi people. That's right, folks. With summertime here, you need the sunglasses. It's record heat all the way around the country. And with heat comes the sun. And with the sun, you have amazing, amazing glare. And you know what? With a pair of Tofosi sunglasses, which are only 25 bucks, you can get a great pair that's just perfect for you. You can get different colors, you can get different shades, you can diff- get all these different, you know, custom-made stuff. And at Tifosi, they love ESO, and we love them too. And if you go in and put ESO Network into the coupon code, you get a discount of 10% off your full order. And you know what? It's a great way to show Tifosi, hey, I listen to the ESO Network, and I support Tifosi Optical. All you have to go to is do is go to tofosioptics.com. That's right, folks, Tofosi Optics. That's they have some amazing work. And you definitely check out and say ESO Network Center. Pretty cool. All right. We got some stuff we got to talk about. We had a huge loss in the geek community this week and took everyone out of nowhere. It was a surprise to everybody. Um who I'm talking about, of course, is Grant Amahara, and he basically passed away from a brain aneurysm on Friday, and it was at the end of the day, and all of a sudden, it started popping up all over social media and stuff like that, and we've had Grant on our show way, way back. I think it was in the 120s of ESO, wasn't it? 126. So, yeah, he was on the show promoting uh, Star Trek Continues, which was a project he was working on. And he was playing Mr. Sulu in the project. And he was great and generous enough with his time to come on Earth Station One. And he talked to us for about 20 minutes or so about the project. And he was just really awesome. And he even did a shout out to William at the time. And when I played it for William, he was like floating off the ground. He said, Grant said hi to me. Because Grant is mostly known for Mythbusters. And... We've been watching probably Mythbusters from the time he started with season three all the way to the end when they, you know, split off the crew and they actually, it was him, Tori, and Carrie uh, did their own show for a little bit because I think they were, they left Mythbusters for contract stuff, but that's not neither here nor there. But Grant, you know, he was a regular at Dragon Con each year and Everyone who's met him has always said he is the nicest guy you've ever met. I've never heard anyone have a bad word about this guy. And it was just pretty awesome. Did you ever meet him at Dragon Con, Mike? I did. I I met him at Dragon Con uh, in addition to, you know, uh, talking to him when we interviewed him uh, uh, eight years ago. Can you believe it? Um, But, uh, yeah, I met him at Dragon Con and uh, saw him in San Diego as well. Um, and, uh, he, 
you know, I mean, I can't, you're right. I can't, you can't say enough good things about the guy. Uh, I mean, the guy was super talented. Uh, he was an engineer, roboticist. Uh, he was a builder as you know, you could see on many episodes of Mythbusters. Uh, he was a performer. Uh, you know, he was like, you know, those guys in Mythbusters were not only, uh, you know, great proponents of, uh, or promoters of science, but they were also like really entertaining and uh, you really, they were really accessible. You know, you really got to feel like you could hang out with all of them. Well, except for Jamie, who would probably just tell you to screw off. Right. But yeah. um, <laughs> he's, he's actually war- the only one I haven't met yet. So. <laughs> him with uh, his worst mustache. It's like, go away, kid. You're bothering me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, um, Furthermore, you know, he he added to the to the sort of um, uh, geek culture by uh, creating building a robot sidekick for Craig Ferguson, uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Peterson, who I saw at San Diego as well. I uh, got pictures of him and, um, you know, he just he 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 did get invested in the geek community because he was a geek uh you know you could see him hanging around uh the the convention floors hanging out with fans um you know he participated in many fan films uh even did some acting outside of those into into real shows as well um and just you know just took every opportunity as it came and and really lived i guess you could say he really lived life to its fullest cuz he you know he he just did everything it seemed like and and you're right everybody especially after his passing everybody who there was so many tributes to him that uh of of, of accounts that you know encounters that people had with him that uh that said the same thing he was really accessible he was really nice he'd go out of his way to to help you with a project if he could um geek related you know he just he just was very much a um a supporter of all things science all things geek and uh and it was a and it's it's a tragic loss i think out of almost all of the mythbuster crew i think i don't know if he's the youngest but he certainly is uh you know one of the young kids obviously because uh, he mm-hmm. was one of the the b team uh that uh went on to do project rabbit uh, white rabbit uh, white rabbit project sorry on netflix as well as some right. other things as well uh you can see him on you know he he would appear on other shows too and like yeah he's just a he was just a great guy a great ambassador for geek a great ambassador for science um i think a lot of kids like william are probably like really hurt because I mean, they grew up with him, right? I mean, he was one of their, uh, you know, um, uh, science teachers from from television and, and the internet, right? Oh, very much so. And, you know, when we met him at Dragon Con, it wasn't even at a table or anything. We met him in the vendor hall. Sure. We were just walking through and, you know, William had his portal gun with him. And I guess, you know, Grant had just picked up a lightsaber from the... Uh, table that has all the lightsabers that you can build and at dragon con and everything and it was funny i got a picture of him you know william versus uh grant with the lightsaber and the uh portal gun it was just awesome and he remembered us i had mentioned to him that he had been on our podcast and he says oh yeah i talked about star trek with you guys and it was just like 
he remembered. I was just like floored. And this was what, 2014, 2015 when we met him. So it was just, it was just awesome. And, you know, his memory, his attitude towards everybody, it was just always awesome. And what you saw on the TV is what you got. It wasn't anything fake. It wasn't anything to it. And that's what makes it even more of a huge loss was how great of a person he was. So, you know, Grant um, will be missed. And, you know, we could keep on going about what he worked on, what projects, Lucasfilms and Star Wars and, you know, all the type of stuff he did. And it's just like, he was, like Mike had mentioned, he was living the dream. And for him to pass away at the age of 49, that is young. That's way too soon. So, you know... Sorry for the loss to his family, to his friends, to people who knew him much better than we did. But, you know, you got to, you know, that's why you got to appreciate what you got in life and everything and just make the most of it. And he and he definitely made a legacy while, while he was here. So, I mean, the man made an impact. So that that is his legacy. So mm-hmm. exactly. No, that's a good way to put it. So. I think that's all I want to say on the topic, and I think we need to just take a break, and we'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. I feel a little strange these days using the name of my blurb still because there really isn't any box office to speak of right now. It is interesting. I went on the Rotten Tomatoes website for the first time in a long time today as I was getting ready to do some research for recording this blurb. And I love Rotten Tomatoes. You know, it's not the end-all, be-all, but I think it's kind of interesting to see a collection of what critics and audience scores are. And then also, I'm... I love to see what the box office numbers are, what overperformed, what underperformed. And so, of course, now there's nothing playing in theaters. So Rotten Tomatoes has kind of an interesting collection of what's are the top streaming content. And so I wanted to just go over a couple of those that I'm personally looking forward to. There's a lot of, there's a real explosion of streaming content lately, I think. And there's almost too much to keep track of. But again, these are just two that have come out recently that stood out to me that I'm really excited to check out. One of these is the movie The Old Guard on Netflix. It's a gritty action film based on a graphic novel and stars Charlize Theron and is about a team of immortal mercenaries. I'm not sure if this was a movie that was originally supposed to come out in theaters but then got moved to streaming due to COVID-19, but the way this movie looks and the concept sounds, it seems like it could definitely be a big budget summer blockbuster. I have heard really good things about this, especially that maybe it could spark a series, so I definitely want to check that out. A new TV series on Netflix that I'm interested in is Cursed, and it's another retelling of the King Arthur legend, except it's focused on a female main character who ends up becoming the famous Lady of the Lake. Now, you may be thinking, do we really need another King Arthur adaptation? I feel like King Arthur and Robin Hood are things that Hollywood just puts out several years. Sometimes or it even seems like most of the time they don't do super well. 
This one's interesting. I will check it out because I like King Arthur Legends. It does have a high bar to clear the BBC Merlin series, which I believe is also on Netflix. It's my favorite adaptation of the King Arthur story. But I'm always down to try something that's new in the realm of fantasy. And this one's getting fairly decent reviews. And that's kind of what is on my radar for new streaming. Something else that I've been doing that I definitely want to encourage others to do as well is actually going back and reflecting on older content. I have really enjoyed on the ESO podcast this summer talking about some classic movies that came out years ago since we don't have new summer blockbusters to talk about. And it's really nice to pick up on some of these great stuff that isn't new but is still very worth diving into. As an example, I'm watching the HBO series John Adams. I picked up a cheap copy of the DVD and it's amazing. Like I can't believe I didn't watch it sooner. I really enjoy it. And I think something nice about watching older content too is, especially for geeks that are really involved in social media, it seems like there's so much discourse sometimes about currently running franchises like Star Wars, Marvel. People, emotions are high. People are fighting about these. And it's not always fun to be a fan online in the midst of all this arguing. So when you watch something older, people aren't talking about it anymore. So you can kind of watch it in your own little bubble, form your own opinion, and then go look for others who have seen it and talk about it, or maybe encourage more people to watch it too. So definitely COVID-19, not a good thing, but I'm trying to find some ways to take positives about this, especially as someone who is an entertainment blogger and podcaster. And it's challenging when I'm used to relying so much on the new movies coming out to drive the type of content that I like to talk about. So I would definitely recommend that too. Scroll through Netflix, find some TV series, movies that you've never heard of and dive into it. Or maybe it's a classic that you've always wanted to see and haven't. Now it's a great time to explore and kind of broaden your cinematic horizons. And that's all that I've got from my box office blurb this week. I'm continuing to blog over on the ESO podcast website. Hope you all stay safe and well and find some great stuff to geek out about. It was Sean and the podcast about mankind. The Soul Forge podcast was a dream given form. Its goal? To prevent fear by creating a place where humans and aliens could work out their differences peacefully. It's a pod for all with topics including love, loss, sex, dating, and so much more. Humans and aliens wrapped in the ESO network all alone in the night. It can be a dangerous place, but it's our last best hope for peace. The year is 2020. The name of the place, Soulforge Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. Now we are here with our friend Goff from Beer Nuts Productions, live from Australia. Welcome back to the show, sir. Hey, thanks fellas for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Oh, dude, it's been a few months since we've last talked to you, and you have a brand new project out. We are going to talk about the Melanie Holden interview. This is going to be very interesting. And, you know, so... It seemed nice and sedate at first that you had the typical interview going, and then something goes a little awry in this one. <laughs> you want yeah, to tell yeah, folks no, about it a little bit? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So basically, uh, to go back in history a little bit, uh, about four years ago, we did seven episodes of like a fake chat show series where I interview 
you know, made up celebrity guests. So, for example, we had uh, Robbie Pockets, who was like a famous English pop star. And then we had uh, Gypsy Diamond, who was like a fake mystic. And then we had uh, oh, Anne Handel, who was a, an actress. And we had a guy playing a politician and a soccer star. So we had seven episodes. And after I did the seventh episode, I was like, okay, well, that's it. We've, we've done that. And of course, they're all still available to, to download on the TV page of the Beer Nuts Productions website. But when all of this nonsense of the last few months happened, uh, I was left in a bit of a pickle as to what I was going to do. So I thought to myself, well, the, uh, our restrictions weren't that heavy because we don't have it as bad as you guys do in the States. So I thought to myself, well, doing these uh, mock chat show interviews, they're not as uh, big to produce as some of the other films. So why don't I write a few more episodes of that and uh, get back into that? So as you say, this is episode number eight, which is the Melanie Holden interview. And Melanie Holden is a child actress and uh, I interview her along with her mother. And then, yeah, as you say, it, uh, we take a bit of a left-hand turn because, uh, yeah, the, the situation uh, changes somewhat. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much the, uh, the basic gist of what it is and why it is, I guess. Oh, very much so. The look on Melanie's face when her mother knocks the snack out of her hand, <laughs> oh, that was just classic. It's like, you've had your snack time already. It's like, <laughs> and it's like, mother, you don't. And, and then they break character and like, ha, fool you. It was, it was just it was just awesome, dude. Well, and the look, the look on your face is like, but we've got to talk about something. Come on. <laughs> it, well, I, that's it. So I, I, I had kind of like a, a decision. So when I was writing it, I wrote that first sort of paragraph out and that was all great. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, the, uh, the, the over the top, uh, overbearing uh, mother of the child actor, that sort of stuff's been done before. Everybody's seen it. So, I thought I'd do something a little bit different and take it in a slightly different direction because, you know, I don't want to do what everybody else has done. So that's why we had them sort of break character and take a bit of a left-hand turn. And then there was another left-hand turn as well. So, so yeah, I just, I wanted to do something a little bit different with this one. Cause as you fellas know, usually my films are a little bit more on the outrageous uh, side of the spectrum. And so I thought I'd do something a little bit more uh, thoughtful and a little bit uh, different this time around. Absolutely, oh, very much so. The uh, the uh, you know I I must admit uh, you know watching it and Mike and I have done several interviews uh, ourselves on the podcast and and otherwise and uh, you know when you when you reach that that time where you just have, find it difficult to pull information from the guest like I don't know is does that come from have you done a lot of interviews like that too is that something you were like yeah that that's a real thing. No, well, I, I've seen them. I mean, we've all watched uh, like a, a TV entertainment show, for example, or a game show is probably a better example. And you see the host and he has to work so hard to get anything out of the most yes. boring guest. Of, you know, actually, a game show is probably a very good example, you know, like a Price is Right or something. And you see poor Drew Carey. He's got to just, he's working so hard. And you feel so sorry for him. But, I mean, he's just got to do his best you know he's got all he's got is this you know boring old lady standing in front of him who's got nil personality and he's got to try and get something out of her you know so i i, I think uh, we've all seen that and it, it can be quite funny and like you say you know i'm doing my best to be that 
bastard journalist that wants to, you know, try and provoke some kind of a response out of these people. So I try my very best, you know? Oh, very much so. And it's pretty funny because like Mike said, we've been in that role before and it's like, tell us something, come on, anything. (laughs) And especially if we're in front of a live audience or something like that at a con and we're talking to a celebrity or something and it's like pulling teeth sometimes (laughs) to get the information. And then you switch awesomely to this couple talking about a photography class. And and it's like, oh my God, he has a camera on me and Judy. You have it like right on my wife. And it's just like, yep, those are conversations I've had from all the different angles. And I love how you do it. And then even the whole thing, like you're sitting at our table. I love that. Dude, that was just classic. Oh, thank you very much. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Because, yeah, that that whole cafe segment, uh, look, when I was writing it, I wanted it to be, uh, I, I guess the best way I've had to describe it is same but different. You know, everything has to be the same, but it all depends on your attitude and how you go into a conversation and your responses to different things as to how that conversation is going to pan out, whether it's going to be a happy ending or a bad ending. So I wanted to, so there's eight different scenarios all talking about the same same thing. So I'm really glad that you, you got that reaction that you were able to relate because that's sort of what I, I want you know that that's what I was going for so that that's yeah that's really really cool that you had that uh, response to it that's really cool oh you know we've we've me and her have had these conversations over and over again and sometimes it's about the same thing but from different <laughs> sides and it was just like and it's just like oh my god it you were hitting way too close to home on this one my friend <laughs> way too close and it was it was just a lot of fun and then you switch back into the studio well that's it folks you know thanks <laughs> it was it was just it was classic and i think you did really well with this one my friend oh th- thank you very much i'm really glad that you enjoyed it yeah so yeah but basically like i say uh when when the uh when all the corona stuff hit you know i was sort of caught in a bit of a pickle as to what, because I want to keep everything moving and going forward, obviously, you know, I've got to keep the Beer Nuts Productions Fun Factory alive and well. So I sort of had to figure out. So I've also got access to a recording studio. So I put down a few audio tracks that I had sort of sitting in the background because we also do audio files on beernutsproductions.com. So I recorded them down and then I was like, well, restrictions had lifted enough where we could film something, but not something big. And so that's why I thought to myself, well, we'll go back to this uh, chat show format and see, uh, see what I can think of, see who I could, uh, because it's, it's probably harder than you would think to write because when you've only got the restrictions of, you know, knowing in my head, I only could have, you know, one or two actors on set at a time and only a certain amount of crew members, like that's in the back of my mind when I'm writing it, then uh, it's, it's quite restricting. So it made it a little bit difficult, but uh, yeah, luckily I was able to to come up with something, and the Melanie Holden interview was the uh, was the end product. And and luckily as well, I was able to have a, a really cooperative cafe owner as well, a guy who I'd not met before at uh, a place near where I live. He was super cooperative, letting us film in his cafe and stuff, which was super helpful for us too. So it's always good to have uh, helpful folks out there in the community. 
Absolutely. You do a, you do a, you continue to do great work with, you know, not, not much. I mean, you know, you're not a major studio, so you have to, you have to do what you can. And I'm particularly amazed at the, the quality of production and the quality of the performances that you get. I mean, uh, especially with this, this one in particular, as Mike said, this one, this one seemed a little bit more uh, relatable. Uh, like you said, out, not as outrageous. It was more like, um uh some some stuff that people easily could relate to as far as as the humor aspects of it um it seemed a lot more personal and yet the the actors that you got the choice of them they they were able to deliver that as if you were just filming a couple at a cafe that were not acting yeah, no, yes, I, I, I know <laughs> <laughs> I, I was really thrilled yeah so uh i'd worked with kale and rebecca a few times before and uh, so I knew they'd do a good job, but I, I was a bit afraid because like you guys say, you know, it needed to be super believable. So they had to be really, really natural in the way that they delivered their lines. So I rehearsed them a lot. I rehearsed, like, as you fellas know, I'm really anal about uh, my scripts and the way I rehearse my actors. So I really put them through the ringer, both of them actually this time around to make sure it was as good as we could get it. And yeah, no, I, I, they absolutely killed it. I couldn't be more thrilled with their performances. They really nailed it. And uh, Katarina and uh, Emily, who played the mother and daughter, they absolutely smashed it as well. And because and those two, it's probably a bit more tricky than what people would initially think because they really needed to be two peas in a pod, really on the same wavelength as well. So they needed to have their timing absolutely spot on to make that work as well. So I rehearsed them a lot, but they absolutely, everybody absolutely crushed it. So I was really happy. No, you actually really felt the chemistry between the actors in this one. And you actually believed that it was a mother and daughter and everything. You actually felt like, and you actually, when you first were introduced to them, you thought that, you know, she was a stage mom completely and everything. And she turns out to be the complete opposite. And it's just, it's just awesome. It was just great. And I'm, I'm really, uh, yeah, because I don't know that we've talked too deep about your process. And uh, especially with comedy, I think there's a perception out there. And, you know, because of a lot of way, a lot of uh, movies and, and TV shows are done like this, where they, they hire funny people and there's a lot of improv. Um, but there's other productions like uh, yours that, you know, it's, it's like, no, no, you stick to the script and it's the script is key. The, that's the script is key, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm really pedantic because I take a lot of care and effort in writing my scripts because I'm a firm believer uh, in any film, doesn't matter if it's one of mine or a big Hollywood blockbuster that you might see at the theatre. I mean, nothing can save a bad script. Doesn't matter how good your directors are, your actors are, nothing's going to save a bad script. So it's really important to me to make sure the script is as good as it possibly can be. And then I'm really pedantic with my actors. And I, I think it also comes down to my disability as well. So I use my ears to obvious because I can't use my eyes. So I use my ears to make sure that the lines are being delivered just perfect with the right tones and inflections and their timings and, and the rhythm and all that sort of stuff is absolutely spot on because I also think that facial expressions will take care of themselves. I mean, if somebody's yelling, for example, their face will be the face of somebody who is yelling. So you just need to make sure that their angry tones are correct. And I think their facial expressions will match the tone of their voice. So I'm really, really fussy with how they deliver my lines and all that sort of stuff. So 
I think some of the actors don't like it so much, and that's totally cool. I mean, everybody's different. You know, some actors do prefer, you know, being given lots of rope and lots of improv and all that sort of stuff, but that's not how I like to do things. So, yeah, I, I much prefer uh, very strict on my actors with how, how they do my lines and how they make it work because at the end of the day, like you said, I don't have a lot of money, so I need we have to film it very quickly so that means everybody has to be super prepared and organized and know exactly what they're going to do, know exactly how I want them to do it so we can get in there and get out nice and quickly. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's pretty much how it all goes down. So something like this that you've recorded, how, like, what, what kind of prep time do they have and then how long do you record for? Yeah, so uh, with the Melanie Holden interview, uh, I rehearsed them for, like, not every day, obviously, but... Uh, Six weeks, I had them for sort of rehearsing them, like bits and pieces, times here and there. And then the actual filming. So we had two hours to film uh, the cafe scene. So we had to be in there at three in the afternoon and we had to be out by five. That was the deal with the guy who ran the cafe. So we had two hours to set up, film and get out. So wow. that was the, ca- yeah, that was the cafe stuff. <laughs> and then, then uh, the actual... Uh, uh, the interview section of it, we did that in a mate's garage. We turned that into a makeshift studio. And so uh, we we got there. So yeah, we filmed, like I say, the cafe three till five. Then we got to the garage, my mate's garage at 6 p.m. And we were out by about 8.30 p.m. So yeah. Wow. We sometimes take longer to record the podcast. <laughs> I know. Wow. <laughs> and, and what's really impressive about that to me is, especially with the cafe scenes, because with each segment in the cafe, there's no cuts. I mean, you know, yeah. you're not like, you're not one of those like modern filmmakers that believes in like cut, 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 and, and just get the line right and we'll just, you know, patch it together. But you let your actors, it's almost like a li- akin to a watching a live performance because you're, mm-hmm. the camera is going to be there, it's going to sit there, and we're going to watch this scene play out no matter how it plays out. And, you're, and, and you're, I mean, it's a lot of work for the actors to do, but it, I think the end result is great. Yeah, you didn't well, have I, to do cutting, like, let's go to the scene of the wife, let's go to the scene of the husband, yeah, let's yeah. go shoot there, 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 you know, camera one now is on him, do that scene. You know, this was yeah, just well, right through, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, well, th- there's a few reasons for that. Um, the number one reason, with this particular one, the number one reason was uh, I felt that you had to have the same shot for every single scene so so that the only thing that was ever different was the way the lines were being delivered. Because even right. some of the lines are the same. So if, if you were to cut, it would take you totally out of the whole thing, in my opinion. So I, I wanted to make sure that everything was identical. So it was always, like, they're always eating the same food. I mean, the poor <laughs> the poor actors, they had uh, two serves of fish and chips and two serves of calamari and chips as well. They, uh, they ate a lot of fish and chips and a lot of calamari and chips. But, uh, yeah, they, so everything had to be the same. And I think if you were to cut it in any way, it would take you totally out of that. And so obviously when we started rehearsing, they were told this is how we're filming it. So if you make a mistake, we've got to go back to the beginning. So they, they were aware of that at the very, very start. And yeah, I, I'm not big on cuts and edits anyway. It's not really my, as you fellas have seen with my films, it's not really my style to have a lot of edits and a lot of cuts. Cause I think generally speaking, especially with comedy, it can take you out of the moment, you know, it's, yes. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. 
And I also, I also believe as well that when I'm, again, I think this might be a disability thing, so it might be unique to me, but because when you're blind, for example, like I am, you miss out on a lot in life. There's things that you just can't do for, because you can't see. Uh, so when there's an opportunity to do something, you take that opportunity. So my theory as well is, if you've got an opportunity to see everything, then you want to see everything. So I want to see people's reactions as well as what the person is saying. I want to see their reactions as well, because their reactions can be just as interesting or funny or telling as what the person's actually saying. And if you're just on a close up of the, the male actor, for example, then you miss out on everything that the female actor is saying with her face. So I think that having everything on screen at once, then the audience can decide what they want to look at, you know? So I think that that's a, another thing that I sort of, uh, how I make my films, you know, I, I like to make sure that everybody can see everything. You know, I don't want anybody to miss out on anything. No, agree Absolutely. completely. You've knocked it out of the ballpark, my friend, to coin an American phrase here. Good stuff. <laughs> but so what, what's up next for you? What do you got next? Well, I got on a bit of a roll, actually. When I, when I wrote up the Melanie Holden interview, I came up with a few other ones that uh, I thought I might do. So there's two other interviews coming up shortly. So there'll be an episode nine, which will be the Jasmine Stinks interview, which we film in August. And then there'll be a one coming up after that. I'm not sure when we'll be filming that one, but uh, an episode 10 as well. So uh, yeah, when I, when I did Melanie Holden, I thought, well, this is, because uh, I don't know how long, I mean, we still are on some restrictions over here. and I, Nobody knows how long it's going to last. So I thought, well, why don't I punch out a few more of these episodes while this is all going on? So I came up with a few other crazy characters and uh, have written some scripts for them. And uh, so, yeah, so there'll be a few more of the uh, chat show series for people to enjoy coming up as well. Keep that it coming. Awesome. Keep it coming, my friend, as we like to say. Keep it coming. Well, how can people find you, my friend? Absolutely. So yeah, beernutsproductions.com is obviously the place to go to watch all of our material. Uh, you can download all, we've got 20 films now that we've made. So there's 20 wow. films up there. There's uh, 13 audio downloads as well, which are like 20 minute long sketches. So there's tons of content up on beernutsproductions.com. And then of course, we're all over the social. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, just type in beernutsproductions and we come up. So we're uh, yeah, what you're on, we're on. So make sure you like and follow and you'll get all the updates and all that sort of stuff. But uh, beernutsproductions.com is obviously the uh, the number one place. Sounds great. Well, Goff, always great to see you in the world down under. So until next time, let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. Everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment and good news for the many 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 of us who did not get to see the Stray Cats on their 40th anniversary tour last summer uh, they are releasing a live album with 23 tracks called from performances on that tour it'll come out September 11th it's called Rocked This Town from LA to London and you can pre-order it now at straycats.com and speaking of live albums, uh, between now and the end of the year, uh, four separate dates, uh, four Peter Gabriel concerts will be released on vinyl by Real World Records. Three of them are coming out for the first time. Uh, they're available to pre-order at petergabriel.com. 
They all have speed mastered, and that was overseen by Peter Gabriel's sound engineer, Rich, Richard Chapel. Uh, each album comes with a digital download code as well. The shows include his first live album from 1983, Peter Gabriel Plays Live. Uh, live in Athens is from the So Tour. Secret World Live is from the Us Tour, and it was recorded in Modena, Italy. And Growing Up Live was in support of the Up album and recorded in Milan. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, and we will catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Hey everyone, welcome back. Now it is time to go back to almost what 50 years back to 19 what 62 was the first 1962 movie? is when, uh, when Dr. No came out. Yeah, yep. So we are going to be looking at Dr. No and all the way through to the current one whenever that comes out. We're going to be talking about James Bond and all his theme music. Let us have some fun with it. Mr. Mike, take yeah, it away. Yeah, a lot of music inspired by uh, James Bond over the years. And we've got some great folks to talk about it. Starting for, we got two guys named Alan, oddly enough. Uh, we've got Alan, our good friend Alan Seiler is here with us. Alan, uh, of course, most people who listen to the show know you from, uh, you know, your time with Hulanta. But you're also, uh, I, I definitely love your um, post it, that you make about music, especially about like the Prince albums and the, and the, oh, cool. uh, and the David Bowie albums that you've mm-hmm. been reviewing and over the years and that kind of thing. And you're also a musician yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and what, uh, what, what do you play? What? Um, well, you know, I started piano when I was a kid and then when I discovered drums, I forgot all about piano, sadly, <laughs> and um, have been playing drums and percussion for a billion years and have done all kinds of things from rock bands to orchestras, operas and all kinds of things. So, that's awesome. Me. Awesome. Cool. We are glad to have you with us. And we have the other Alan joining us is Alan J. Porter. He is an author as well as a good friend of the station. It's been too long since he's been on here. Uh, but you can also, uh, he's somewhat of, I guess we'll call him an expert because he also does uh, the uh, Her Majesty's Secret podcast, right? Uh, with uh, Correct. A yeah. lo- uh, talking a lot about James Bond music there, right? Yeah, we actually have our own Bond music show on there where once a month we are systematically working our way through each movie's soundtrack theme song picking our best it's called uh, bond music six of the best myself and my co-host we each pick three tracks from the soundtrack plus the theme song plus a bonus track where we go out and try and find some interesting cover versions to talk about as well so we could uh, uh we could spend the next hour and a half talking about how that numbering system works with you guys so we're not really oh <laughs> it, I, 
<laughs> Take me an hour and a half to figure it out too. So. But um, I want to get right started. I want to get right to it um, and just ask you guys. Uh, we'll start with Alan Seiler. Um, where? What was the first? Um, what was your first introduction to James Bond in particular, like music wise? I would have to say um, I started as a kid. I started listening to um, Top Forty Radio around seventy four, seventy five. So it would have to be Live and Let Die was the first like big hit. You know, there was a whole string of, of big pop hits around that time, the mid to late 70s. Um, and and uh, Live and Let Die was the first one because Wings was like, you know, just hitting all cylinders at that point. And uh, George Martin was brought in to, uh, to compose the score so, of course, you're going to get Paul McCartney, if you're George Martin, to do the theme song. And I'm pretty sure that's the first one. I remember the in the 70s, I remember all the hearing all those big Bond hits for the first time. And I'm sure that Live and Let Die was the first one that I heard. Alan, Alan what, about, what about you? Uh, I guess musically, it would be seeing my first Bond movie in the theater, which was I'm really aging myself here, On a Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, with that awesome John Barry score, which is still my favorite John Barry score. Um, so that would have been it. But I think I was just blown away by the movie. The music was just part of it. I don't think it stood out to me particularly at that point. I mean, I was like 10. So, you know, it was <laughs> it was just the movie, that it, music that came with the movie. But I do remember not long after I found a album, uh, Jeff Love and his orchestra played James Bond themes probably sometime around the late 60s, early 70s, which was, I think, probably the second album I bought with my own money and wore the grooves out on that one. And it sounds, I mean, it's terrible interpretations, but for me, that was like the, my introduction to the idea that there was, there was music in the movies, but also that it stood on its own outside the movies as a, as a thing. So, yeah. I hastily, I will say, have over the years got actual proper vinyl albums of the proper soundtracks. Um, <laughs> and that one is long lost and long gone and will not be replaced. So. Well, the uh, the soundtracks themselves are are kind of a mixed bag, too, with the way they've been organized and everything like that. But, um, uh, Mike, what about, uh, what, what about you? Um, for me, I was right around the same era as at Alan Seiler <laughs> about... <laughs> The Live and Let Die era um, was the first time I probably heard a James Bond theme. Uh, but because the first James Bond movie I went to go see was Moonraker in the theater. And so, because I was too young for Spy Who Loved Me. And so I remember the theme song, you know, from Live and Let Die, it was literally, you know, theme song after theme song because... I don't remember Man with the Golden Gun ever hearing it on the radio or anything like that, but I remember Carly Simon was everywhere. Yeah, that with, one was huge. With mm-hmm. this, you know, nobody does it better. Mm-hmm. It was just yeah. everywhere, yeah. and that actually made me want, try to get my mom and dad to take me to go see James Bond. And then, <laughs> oh no, 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 son, you're too, you know, busy with that. You're going to go to a Grateful Dead show instead. You know, so. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good trade off, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, this this is my parents, so this is the way they thought. So, but they, um, we got to go see Moonraker, and then you know. You had, you know, 
hit after hit after hit. And the music was always there, but always the very beginning, you know, from the very opening shot, dun, 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 you know, having Bond walk out and the, you know, the gun, you know, f- focusing on it and the, you know, the, him shooting at it and the blood coming down. It was like, that's for me is just classic and everything and it's just mm-hmm. it's just awesome yeah I, it's, it's analogous to the star wars fanfare the logo popping up on screen and then the the story crawl it's so iconic and no other film could do it and it sets the tone for the experience you're about to have yeah oh, exactly really ramp, yeah it really ramps up that expectation of excitement exactly. and glamour and travel and action right. and everything to come just from those few three four notes Oh, you you should have seen me when when they did not have it at the beginning of Casino Royale, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. with Daniel Craig. And I was like, yeah. wait a minute, where, you know, it was like, this is not the beginning of a Bond movie. Yeah. Is this, you know, is this like, you know, what they did when uh, Sean Connery came back? No. <laughs> That's I sort of understood it with that one from a storytelling point of view. Oh, because he I do now completely. Until, until the end of the movie. But why they didn't use start doing it with quantum Solis and everything else. It was just like, ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I, I don't recall what my first bond movie experience was in terms of, I know that uh, I was introduced by bond via the Sunday night ABC movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I know that, you know, Roger Moore was my bond, my first bond. Um, mm-hmm. And so it either was live and let die or, uh, Spy Who Loved Me, which was my first Bond kind of movie, watching that on TV and staying up late because it was always with commercials, they would always go like three, three and a half hours. I think, I think Under Majesties went two nights, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, but uh, so I, I like those. Uh, I think the first one I actually saw in the theater was actually, I don't think I saw one in the theater until For Your Eyes Only. Um, but I was buying soundtracks very early. Um, Star Wars inspired me in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that inspired me, one of the many ways it inspired me was I just love the music. And I got hooked on movie music and I would just eat up soundtracks. And I love theme songs. I love theme songs to TV shows. I love theme songs to movies. And I would just uh, seek those out. So, you know, you know, I, I, I love the, you know, Star Wars had multiple themes in it. And then, you know, the Batman theme, uh, the Doctor Who theme, I had 45s of those. Um, and of course, you know, so James Bond, I would just buy them all up on vinyl whenever we, I saw them at like yard sales or in record stores, or whatever. I just would buy the soundtrack. Sometimes I saw, I, I got the soundtrack before I even saw the movie. I've always uh, wanted to start a cover rock band that did nothing but theme songs oh that would be awesome that would be awesome <laughs> i'd be there i'd be there we'd have uh, one fan there you go provided, oh, no, provided two. i'd be there i'd love yeah. <laughs> provided, they're, provided they're good theme songs <laughs> right exactly <laughs> I, I have to, i have too many youtube playlists of my favorite theme songs from various tv shows so, so right <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the, let's, let's, let's open, let's talk about the James Bond theme. It's iconic. Um, now I, I know I've heard some stories about the origin of the theme. Mm-hmm. It's credited by being written by Monty Norman. He's the one who's, uh, uh, credited in every Bond movie. 
I understand that there might be some dispute with that and in some ways. Alan, do you know a little bit more about that? Alan, Alan Porter? Uh, yeah, actually, the Bond theme is the Monty Norman Bond theme. Um, legally, yes, he is credited with it. He came up with the theme. Um, and then Barry Norman was brought in to basically orchestrate it and added things to it, particularly the middle eight. But the actual theme, the original theme is Monty Norman. It's based on a unproduced musical um, called Mr. Biswas that he mm. had, wrote. And if I remember rightly, the theme is from a song called Good Sign, Bad Sign, um, which you can actually Google and find the original Monty Norman recording of him singing Good Sign, Bad Sign. And it is the James Bond theme. He had this theme from a musical that never got produced. Yeah, and, the, the song from, said, from Mr. Biswas, if I remember rightly, was uh, on sitar. It was sort yes. of Indian influence. And that sitar theme is almost exactly the, what became the Bond theme. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but the dispute became because he then, they brought in John Barry to do the orchestration. The thing is, if you think about Dr. No, Monty Norman did the soundtrack for Monty, for, for Dr. No. John Barry, the only thing John Barry did was come in and orchestrate the James Bond theme. And that's hmm. sort of where it, it, the dispute arose. And he didn't get paid a lot for Dr. No, John Barry, and was basically told that if he did this job, he would get to do the uh, soundtrack for the next movie. So it was like, just do this little job on the side and you can have the next movie. And from there, his sort of career took off. Monty Norman never scored another Bond thing other than the fact he gets the nice big royalty checks every time somebody goes, da 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 So, you know. Don't, 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 no, don't, no, don't. Yeah. So, thanks, uh, Alan. Um, <laughs> that goes it, to show budget. It is. Uh, we, we have a budget. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said, it. it I mean, we've already talked about it. It's iconic. It. It. It opens every Bond movie, or at least most of the Bond movies. Right when it's not there, uh, you know. And I. Uh, I remember the 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 year was it nineteen eighty. Uh, what was the year that uh, the two bonds came out? It was the Battle of the Bonds, right? In that summer? 83. Right, 83. And and uh, I, mm-hmm. as much as I do like uh, Never Say Never uh, again, it just, the soundtrack, it's like, it just is missing that Bond theme. And it just, it really, it really shows in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty awesome also, like, how many bands and such have always done homage to the bond theme and everything look at the beatles with what they did to the intro to help you know right there to the song you know because basically the beatles did a james bond movie with help and when they did the album they'd you know if you hear it it's you know basically they you know do basically an homage to the James Bond theme and then they go, you know, and they do the sitar and, you know, go, going in through it and then they go into help. I need somebody, you know, right there, which is pretty darn awesome. It's uh, yeah. Well, it's definitely like it, it now becomes like anytime you hear anything like that. I mean, it's, it symbolizes any sort of secret agent or action sequence that's about to happen. Right. I mean, I think it's synonymous with that now. Yeah, I think John Barry really defined that 60s super spy sound that became people took bits of what Barry did and spun it out. And you can hear it in things like the Man from Uncle theme, the mission. Even though those are great themes that stand on their own, you can really trace them back. And if you look at a lot of the spoof movies from the 60s and 70s, you, you can hear that John Barry influence through all of the scores. 
So. Now, uh, and talking of playlists, yes, I have a playlist of every, every time I come across somebody doing a cover version of the James Bond theme, and it's a big playlist. It's a I was going to say, part. it must be in the hundreds. <laughs> yeah. So what is your favorite cover of a Bond theme? Ooh, of a Bond theme? Uh, Ooh, song question. or of the Bond theme itself? The Bond theme itself. Jeez. You know, that's a good question. I've never thought about it. Wow. You have until the end of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to go look at the playlist while you guys are talking. So. Yeah. The, uh, I'm familiar with some of them, but, uh, and, and some of the official ones. I mean, obviously, the, the theme has been added to and sort of right. rearranged I mean, there's, over there's, time. There's, there's that, some of the updated ones I really I like the Moby, the, the, the one that Moby did, the update for yes. the Piers Brosnan era. Like I really like that one. I love um, the movie one. I think it's fantastic. I will say the best one I've ever heard, and it's partly why I'm wearing this T-shirt, which is really visual for the podcast folks. This is actually the T-shirt from the Casino Royale at, at the Royal Albert Hall performance from a couple of years ago. Nice. And, and at the end of that, David Arnold actually came, composer David Arnold came out with a guitar and actually played the James Bond theme. Oh, wow. Um, so having seen him play it live, it's like, yeah, nobody can beat that really. <laughs> If you can't get Vic Flick to actually play it, having David Arnold do it is pretty close <laughs> seconds. So. Now, as far as that album goes, uh, that soundtrack with Dr. No, that first soundtrack, um, the Bond theme is established right away, right in the first, uh, the, you know, the first movie. Um, you know, they're still sort of like working out uh, the whole um, other tracks as far as popular music, right? The theme songs that would become iconic. That wouldn't start until the next one right uh until from russia with love would you say or is there i mean there are there are tracks on dr no that have yeah one of the uh, yeah um, yeah some of the interesting things about dr no i mean for, for years i the um the calypso thing that connery sings and you hear the underneath the mango tree that yeah. you hear is i thought for years that that was actually a jamaican folk song and it wasn't monty norman actually wrote it for the movie oh, wow. really uh, yeah, and I never knew that until relatively recently. I thought that was so. He did a lot of that source and music was him. So he really got the Jamaican vibe. But it, and there is actually a track on there which was his uh, James Bond theme. Um, he wanted to be the Bond theme going forward, but it's terrible. Um, and I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head. Um, but uh, so he did some interesting things with it. But yeah, you're right. You didn't get into that groove of really. Um, the tropes that we, we think about when we think about Bond until John Barry really started uh, scoring the soundtracks and helping co-write the, uh, co-write the theme songs. And I, without getting too much to where we, the modern times, I think that's where they've gone wrong though, from sort of the late 80s onwards is moving away from having the composer be involved with the theme song and having them as two separate musical items pretty much from the... Mm-hmm. the the Brosnan era onwards where the theme song became a separate marketing entity from the, from the soundtrack. Yeah. I would say that um, the theme song phenomenon really starts with the third movie. Yeah. The second one opens with an instrumental. Yeah. And it's basically an instrumental version of the, um, the Matt Monroe song. Um, and then the song is used later in, in the closing. Yeah. Um, and it's not until Miss Shirley Bassey steps up with Goldfinger that really establishes that pattern of opening title sequence theme song leading into, you know, and it sets the tone either by telling you something about uh, the character or the setting of the movie or something of the plot. You know, I think that it's uh, 
Goldfinger that yeah. establishes that firmly. Yeah, Goldfinger is really the, the movie that set the template for the franchise going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So. Oh, very much so in so many different ways, truthfully. Yeah, I, I agree. It is a, it's a great soundtrack on its own, and uh, it's a great track. And, and yeah, I mean, and that's when you start to get, well, yeah, start to get, but you get like, I mean, it's when it seems like it's known for uh, now. It's not just a pop song that's going to open it, but it's going to have like, usually it's going to have some classic uh, vocalists, you know, with it. Some really strong vocalists for the most part, for the most part. There are exceptions, of course. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go film by film, but um, is there, a, and Alan Siler, we'll start with you here on this question. After, after Goldfinger, is that, what do you consider like maybe a switch or a change in the music of James Bond? Or um, something, something significant that happens after that? Hmm. I would go back to Live and Let Die being the first uh, rock band to do the theme song and also written by the band itself and not by the film composer. I think that's a big change. Um, I think that um, John Barry is obviously having set the tone musically for everything that happens after that point is a major uh, addition to the franchise and um that's that's the that's the two things i've got <laughs> okay all right um any any other major contributions from john barry i mean so many but um uh, yeah i'm actually i'm actually going to answer your other question about which is my favorite cover version of the 007 theme oh, okay <laughs> Okay. It's not a cover version of the Double Ivers Seventeen. This is probably heresy, but I've said it on my own podcast, so it's out there. I actually prefer John Barry's Double O Seven theme from from Russia with Love to the James Bond theme. Mm. Yeah, wow. you have to make Great. that distinction because yes, people yes. think that the Double O Seven. A lot of people think that the Double O Seven theme and the James Bond theme are the same thing. They're not. They're two separate pieces <laughs> of music. And for me, exactly. the Double O Seven theme is the quintessential. Bond music. When that's on screen, you know something's going to go down. <laughs> I I miss that theme. Uh, yeah, I mean they haven't used, used it in like a decade, right? Yeah, nope. yeah. Moonraker was the last time it was mm-hmm. used, so mm-hmm. yeah, I really miss it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that one, and uh, I think uh, for me, you know, going going forward to the next point where I'm like, oh, things are different as far as soundtrack goes, is Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yes, that yes. you know they get into that the, you know with a new bond comes a new sort of a new a new theme right they they sort of give him a new theme with uh honor majesty's secret service which is a great theme in and of itself i think oh god yes yeah. yes yeah it's one of my favorites and it was actually awesome because it's full instrumental and it's not you know, previously, they, most of the theme songs were very mellow, very melodic in a lot of ways, where, you know, this one, like, hits you right over the head with the horns right from the very beginning of the song. And it it is awesome. And I'm very proud to say that because I introduced William to Bond at an early age, he actually recommended to his band teacher in... 11th grade that the school band play that and they did it full orchestra at (laughs) at his at his high school and it was awesome to see 
That is, really that cool. is good. That is good parenting. That yeah, is. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and and it it is awesome. You know, yeah. You know, it's interesting because you know you had like Shirley Bassey, which was awesome, and she belted out every one of the themes that she did. You know, and whenever I think of Shirley Bassey, it's just like James Bond, Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever. You know that type of stuff, and it's just it's just awesome. And, but for Her Majesty's Secret Service took it to the next level in a lot of ways. And, you know, then two, two, you know, movies later, you had Live and Let Die, which is a true rock and roll song and everything. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I mentioned it earlier that uh, Majesty's is my favorite sound, soundtrack. It still is. It's the one I listen to the most. Um, I have a sort of, not quite as cool as your story, but when I was uh, a previous day job, when uh, we were doing a round the world um, series of speaking engagements and our traveling AV guy decided everybody needed their own walk up theme tune for when they walked on stage. And without asking or talking to me or really knowing me, he actually picked the theme from Her Ma- Honor Majesty's for my walk on music. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, it has that little extra resonance that became my own personal theme song for about four weeks, which was pretty cool. That's fantastic. Uh, um, but I actually want to, you were asking about uh, sort of different music steps. I actually want to take a side step and go back from 1969 to 1967 and actually step outside the Eon franchise. When we're talking about music, Casino Royale, 1967. Doesn't okay. matter what you think about the mu- the movie. <laughs> um, and I have had long, deep discussions about what various people think about the movie. <laughs> the soundtrack is one of the best Bond soundtracks. Um, as an album, it's a beautiful piece of music. Burt Bacharach theme, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass on the, th- on the, so- the theme song, um, the Look of Love song. Um, it just... Um, is a brilliant, brilliant soundtrack and is actually one that's very coveted by audiophiles. I believe that it's like considered one of the best pressings that you can get for your turntables and gives you the best sound quality. So if you, if you really want to listen to a different James Bond soundtrack, uh, which is very indicative of the late sixties, but is beautifully put together. Um, I highly, highly recommend the Casino Royale 67 one, which I know it's not one of the official ones, but um, is a, is a wonderful piece of music. I think it was inspirational. And I defy anybody not to accept well. that truck. Yeah. Because um, I think that kind of inspired the music. I always think of like, you know, that an inspiration for the music of Austin Powers. Oh, good grief. Yes. You, if you actually listen oh, to that, then listen so. to the, uh, yeah, you can, you can see with the straight lifts out of the, uh, when he even <laughs> introduces Burt Baccarat in the Austin Powers movie. I mean, he's actually <laughs> in it. And he, so, and they use the look of love in the movie. So yeah, it, it's a straight lift from Austin to, to the Austin Powers mm-hmm. movie. It's it's interesting because I do like the Tom Jones version of Thunderball, but you know I would have loved to have heard and seen Johnny Cash's version. You've not heard it? No, I have seen it, and I've seen it, no. but it's on the big screen, it would have been awesome to hear that. But they felt it was too country. It's very country, the Johnny. Cash. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah which yeah. which would have yeah. been awesome. Yeah, I mean it's very country, but at the same time it lyrically at least really captures the the essence of the franchise oh yeah I, I, really yeah. it's an encapsulation of who james bond is really yeah yeah oh, I, yeah. 
you can tell he's read the book of Thunderball when you listen to the lyrics, the Johnny yeah. Cash's lyrics. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But having said it's, that, I was a Tom, the Tom Jones Thunderball is my number one favorite Bond theme song. So. Really? Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I was yeah. going to get to that question, hmm. but yes, okay. Um, okay. All uh, the way to the end now. Okay. There we go. <laughs> We're done. We're done. <laughs> We're done. My time here is done. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you guys mentioned it, and I know that there's, you know, a lot of stories about alternate tracks that were supposed to be uh, some were recorded some weren't um you know we all know most of the james bond movie movie songs that are hits um tell us a little bit about some of your favorites that weren't hits or someone that you would have uh, liked to have heard that didn't happen um uh you know like that that because i know that in a lot of cases uh it, it didn't work for whatever reason it didn't work out or they were used in alternate um like instead of the front the, the, instead of the start of the movie uh you know they're at the end like my uh, an example that i have um and it's not really an alternate take but it's like i'm 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 really i really don't like the cheryl crow song i just really oh. don't like i don't I get, like it better than the garbage song uh, yeah, I, the garbage I song, song is kind of boring. I love the garbage song, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> no problem. Uh, <laughs> I do, although I understand that Shirley and uh, Barry did not get along uh, during the like, and that might be one of the reasons mm. why the band and the composer don't uh, work together on on tracks anymore. That happened uh, with Aha too. Yeah, they just, yeah. They did not mix well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that could be one of the reasons why that happened. Although but there was also there's also Radiohead too. Why they the, the Radiohead one is awful. It yeah. is so boring. Well, isn't the same movie uh, with the uh, Cheryl Crow? Isn't the same? Chrissy Hine on that one? No, like, Chrissy. Uh, Chrissy uh, Hine is Chrissy in. Hines. Yeah, she's in um, the first Timmy Dalton. The Living Daylights. Yep. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And, and when you're talking, about, we, we actually recorded the six, the best on the Living Daylights like yesterday. <laughs> so it's fresh in your mind. <laughs> yeah, so it's fresh in my mind. But we were actually talking about that. That um, personally, I think rather than our heart, I'd have rather Chrissy Hind and the Pretenders did the theme song, not that theme song, but a theme song by Chrissy Hind and gotcha. the Pretenders should have been done for that movie uh, rather than our heart. Um, I thought her voice is is she has a very unique voice anyway, but I mm-hmm. think it really fits the Bond tone. Yes, it does. Having yeah. said that, I freaking love the aha song it's one of my favorites so i i quite like it but i I don't think it i don't think it fits tonally i don't think it fits that movie um i Mm. also think without going too deep in um into it they were trying to recreate what happened with duran duran absolutely and 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 do that hot pop group with it being a new bond i think they should have gone for a completely new sound and not try to recreate what they'd done with the last right. Roger Moore movie. Um, right, so I think right. it would have been a much better thing for this is a new, new younger Bond and a new sound. Yeah. Because the, the soundtrack, even though it was a Barry soundtrack, was completely different because he used synthesizers a lot. He exactly. used guitar a lot. So every, everything was new sounding except for the, for the soundtrack. Except for the theme song. The yeah, theme you're song. absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And it was, I think it was a mistake because they, you know, Duran Duran's was great. It was probably yeah. the for me. It was one of the best parts of that movie. It was and, the best part of that movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, was, I love that movie. Not, not if you ask Perry Como, but you know, yeah, uh, he had he had some problems with it. <laughs> of course, but it was <laughs> it was it was interesting to see what they've done with themes over the years. Because truthfully, after View to a Kill, I fell flat with most of the Bond themes. I was just like, meh. 
you know. They and, get into a weird period where it's just like they have a song. It doesn't relate to the movie at all. It a lot of times doesn't incorporate the title of the film into the even into the lyrics. It's it's just like a pop song. You would include right. Gold, Goldeneye in the meh period. Yeah, Tina yeah. Turner. Yeah. Come on, that's almost nope. a Shirley. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> I don't feel like they got back to the Shirley Bassey part until Adele came about and everything. Mm. And With- earlier, uh, Mike, you asked. Uh, the, about who you would have wanted to see. Had you asked that question a few years ago, I would have said Adele. So when she came along, I thought, well, that's just an obvious, you know, pick for a Bond theme. And then the song ended up being really good. Mm-hmm. Oh, when she, her song, when the first time I heard it on the radio, mm-hmm. I got goosebumps. I well, it was the first time that a, a theme song felt like a Bond theme song in three or four movies. By that, Oh point. yeah, very much so. I I, I I was going to say, I will say, I do actually like Chris Cornell's You Know My Name. I you love do. the song. I, oh, I do too. I, I do too. The song. I don't know yeah. that it feels and, like a Bond song. That's yeah, the, it could, I, it could I have like, been anything. It could have I, been for, you know, any movie. I like or that any. track. And I also like the track uh, Quantum of Solace. Uh, what is it? Uh, Another Way to Die? Yeah. Uh, it's I okay. like that. I like that yeah, song right. as well. But they're, you know... It, it's almost it's almost like the, even the franchise is like we're not even going to put that like we're not going to include those songs on the soundtrack like if you get the soundtrack to those movies they do not have those songs on it they do not have the the tracks on it they keep them completely separate now yeah, yeah because they're completely crazy. different parts of the marketing uh program so it's just crazy yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that needs to be yeah I, I would love to see that more unified um i uh, think that may be happening with 25 but hmm. uh, we'll see because uh, well, they, I think they've well, they've already released the the track. Yeah, the song's been out, right? For a long yeah, time. but Hans, but Hans Zimmer February, but Hans Zimmer has done some stuff with that. With did some stuff with that, and yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so, and and the the person who sings the new track, that's is it Billy English, right? Billy Eilish. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, thanks. And I have to say, I don't hate it. No, I, I don't either. Like it. Yeah, I, I do too. Like I'm, it. I was very yeah. surprised that I because yeah. she has been the biggest thing on the music radar for the last year and a half. And she, I just can't connect to her at all. Like, she I just, guess we're all getting old. That's I was sure, but, <laughs> but I was kind of surprised that I, and, and as much as I can't stand Sam Smith and did not like his Bond song. Oh, I Spectre was horrible. I expected to be the same with Billie Eilish and I actually kind of liked it. It actually kind of worked as a Bond song. I, I will I think, say going back to the Sam Smith one, um, I was with you when I heard it. And when I saw it in the movie, I absolutely hated it and thought it was a terrible Bond song. <laughs> and then I heard Cue the Music. I don't know if you know Cue the Music. They're a British band uh, who do all Bond stuff. They're, they're as close as you can get to being an official Bond cover band. Okay, cool. Um, um, and they have a very powerful female vocalist. Mm-hmm. And she, when she sang, I heard her sing the writings on the wall. I'm like, yeah. that is actually a great Bond song. Wow. <laughs> with the right vocalist, with a strong, powerful female vocalist, yeah, it's actually a really good Bond song. Yeah, wow. Yeah. But as it's done in the movie, no. <laughs> oh, when they played it at the Oscars, I was like almost embarrassed for the frat. <laughs> it was just like, oh man. Yeah, how that yeah. an Oscar is beyond me, but what? Mm-hmm. What do you? And I know this is a personal thing, so I'm I'm curious to what how you guys you know in your own personal definition if there is something. What what to you makes a good Bond song? 
uh, Alan, Alan oh, Sullivan, start with you. What, what are you, so what, what, what are you looking for? Like if you, if, is it something that, Oh, I know one when I hear one yes. or does it have, yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. does it have no, to be all the does way it have to be more like, you know, does it like for me, I, I think, you know, the better ones for me have, have orchestration behind them. Like yeah. they, as much as I, I love live and let die, which is a good rock song. Um, and it's a great rock song. Uh, it's still, I mean, even that's got orchestration to mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Which right. is um, yeah, it's a fifty-piece so, orchestra, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, but it, it, but it's a kick-ass rock band. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I saw Guns and Roses do it, and they didn't have an orchestra behind them, <laughs> right? So you can still rock out to it. Um, but yeah, so where some of the songs were, I think we were talking about were good songs, but they weren't like Bond songs. Like, do the does it? You mentioned Alan about that that you you know it should have something to do with the movie, right? It should have something to do with the story, maybe the characters. Maybe it doesn't have to have those things, but those things definitely help it. It definitely right. uh, propels it forward. I think there. I, I'm trying to think of one that actually doesn't incorporate that that I love and. I'm really having a hard time with it. So maybe that is a, a necessary element. Mm-hmm. There's something stylistic about it too, though. The Chris Cornell song I love, but stylistically it doesn't really read like a Bond theme. See, for me, it has to tell be part of the overall narrative of the movie, which is why I like the Chris Cornell one, because the, mm-hmm. the you know, my name, it sort of, it, it fits in with the, the origins of Bond and knowing who he is and getting to becoming right. That James is true. So it, it sort of fits in there. So for, for me, um, I like music that tells the story and goes along with the movie. Um, yeah. And so, but yeah, what makes a good Bond song? You're right. I think it's that lush orchestral. It's part of the narrative. It's got a good vocal. Um, and I know it when I hear it. Okay. Well, let's talk about one of the more controversial ones and that's the Madonna one. Right. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, now, I, I can't say that's I can't even say that's the best part of that movie <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> wow well I, I okay I, I I will have to step back because much like much like Cheryl Crow I'm not a Madonna fan so if I'm not a fan of the artist that that's a, a few you know that's yeah. gonna knock it yeah. down a bit I'm not a yeah. fan of Billie Eilish either and I'm not a huge fan of Adele but I love their songs yeah, because they work as Bond songs, I guess. I know. don't mind the Madonna "Die of the Day" song in the movie. Right. If I hear it outside of the movie, I, I'm not really a fan of it. But inside the movie, when it's put together with all the, you know, the story mm-hmm. that he's, you know, that he's locked up and the days are passing and he's being tortured and all that kind of stuff, it kind of works. I guess as a, as a torture I think, device. Yes, <laughs> yeah, part of the torture. I think the. Ri- exactly. I think the ri- <laughs> The only way I you can make it more torturous is to play umbop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Ooh. I think the rhythm of it works with the way they cut the movie behind it. I agree. Uh, and you get that narrative. That rhythm works, but the, the lyrics are just meaningless. I mean, they don't, the, the lyrics don't play to the narrative at all. Yeah. I think, I think the rhythm of it within the movie, and to your point, yeah, I don't actually mind it too much when I'm watching the movie because I think it does fit with that. And I will actually say, I think there's half a good movie up until that in there. And that's part of the good half. Um, and then there's a certain yeah, point no, where this movie not right. just jumps a shot, but actually jumps off a cliff. Um, but uh, Does it coincide with the part that, that Madonna comes on screen for a cameo role? Uh, it's not long after that. Is that the that. dividing line? <laughs> not quite, but it's not long after that for me. As soon as, yeah, as soon as there's ice involved, yeah, get, yeah. 
No, actually, <laughs> slightly before that, but we won't get into that. Um, uh, I, I also think that, you know, uh, I think auto-tune has no place in a Bond song. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think Madonna's pretty auto-tuned in that track. Um, so I, I, I'm not a big fan of that either. And because there's such a tradition, not only of, you know, having instrumental parts, but also strong vocals. I mean, when you've mm-hmm. got, you know... Shirley Bassey and and Tom Jones as your you know your first two that kind of sets the tone for mm-hmm. the rest of them. I mean even even you know Sheena Easton belts out you know for your eyes only really. Well. Oh yeah, yeah. Or even Nancy Sinatra. I think that know. was the biggest hit, right? Which what, one? Oh, Sheena. Uh, Sheena? Yeah, I think she, Sheena's was. Yeah, like, that one or like, or the Carly one. Simon one would be the biggest charters. Yeah. Actually, Duran Duran was Duran Duran. Oh yeah, that's was, right. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, Duran Duran was huge. Duran Duran yeah. was the first one to go to number one, and actually yeah. one of them did until Sam Smith after uh, uh, no Adele and Sam Smith were the right. next ones. Yeah, yeah. prior wow. to that, yeah, yeah, they, they've actually traditionally not been that big chart hits. Uh, most of them get in around most of them top, top ten if they're lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, like, going back to the Madonna thing, it's interesting. I've spoken to uh, and, and talked to quite a few people who are a lot younger than me um, who spend a lot of time in dance clubs in the 80s and 90s and that was a huge dance hit mm-hmm. outside was. of the movie and yeah. and people who heard it in the clubs love it uh, yeah. because it's a dance hit. i think we just got bad associations with it as well i don't it, it, it probably is a really good dance uh, tune dance track a club track mm-hmm. but it's not a bond movie track plus the movie it was attached to obviously didn't help that either so well, um, man, we're starting to starting to run out of time. So, yeah. I mean, we've also kind of okay. addressed. We like, could almost do our... a whole podcast on this, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Gee, yeah. Gee, I think someone you, has. You could do one like one a month. That's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> Until the movies run out, I don't know what. Yeah. To, what, what do you do after yeah. that? Um, well, we're only up. To, we're only up to the living daylight, so we got a while to go yet. So. <laughs> um, you know, I think we've talked about what our some of our favorite tracks are. Do you have? You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say like favorite album, favorite soundtrack, favorite song. What uh, def- what is a defining like James Bond song for you? Other than maybe the theme, which is pretty obvious. Uh, we'll we'll sort of end with that. Uh, what is like a song that people should maybe track down if they haven't heard it? Uh, that maybe uh, might be a little bit under the radar, um, or or just something that you just love, and you're like this. When I think James Bond songs, when I think James Bond music, this is what pops in my head. Uh, Alan Siler, we'll start with you. No, don't start with me. <laughs> oh, 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 is it is it too big? Yeah, I have to think about this for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm inspiration I'm a- from Mr. Porter's answer. I'm actually going to go again, completely left field. Um, one of the uh, my absolute favorite tracks is from Bruce Willis's album, "The Return of Bruno," which is him doing Secret Agent Man, spliced with the James Bond theme, hmm. and it is wonderful. If you like spy music, uh, Secret Agent Man from the Danger Man TV show, and um, mm-hmm. the theme tune they added to the US version, uh, which was done by Johnny Rivers originally. Bruce Willis does a kick-ass cover version of it, and it's actually mixed with John Barry's uh, 007 theme, um, the return of uh, James Bond Returns theme music cue, and it works beautifully. And uh, for me, if I just want to listen to some a really good spy track, that that's the one I listen to. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Um, 
I, th- I think I'm going to say one that's um, unexpected um, that I think a lot of people know but might not really know the association is uh, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, which uh, was an instrumental that was originally called Run James Run. And um, after the uh, second movie, after Russia, I think it was after either Russia or Thunderball, um, uh, uh, they, they loved the film and they wanted to do their own thing with it. And so it was intended to be a Bond uh, either theme or, you know, incidental music or something. Um, but then it never got used. And so they turned it into their own track and called it Pet Sounds and, you know, that kind of thing. But I think that that's um, very, very in the spy uh, genre. And it's one that's easily accessible that I think people might not realize has a bond association with it. Excellent. Excellent. I'm learning stuff. <laughs> uh, Mr. Faber? I mentioned a couple already that, you know, have a lot of meaning to me. Beatles help, of course, or, you know, Soul Bossa Nova um, from Austin Powers in some ways, you know, the da-da-da-da, you know, and is always a good one. But for me, you know, I would probably say Johnny Cash's Thunderball. That's a fantastic song. Yeah. Man, it's just, I love it's, it. It's haunting. It is really haunting, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just awesome. And you, there's a couple places you could hear it. Go up to YouTube, and you find it right away. And they actually play the actual intro for the James Bond movie with that theme song running. It is pretty darn awesome. I always just a... wait. Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. you go ahead. Finish. No, sorry. I was just gonna say. I always just wish Elvis had done a Bond theme. <laughs> i i thought it, no his like you know his like when he his ballads or something like that you know especially like the like the late 60s era elvis you know i thought would have been really awesome to do something not just jumpsuit yet elvis but elvis before that <laughs> so. i'm gonna add to my answer and i'm gonna combine it with the earlier question about who you would like to have seen done a theme I think if you go to any of the albums by Amy Winehouse, you will hear music that fits the genre. And had it ever worked out, she should have done a Bond theme. Mm-hmm. She was under contract. She she was, yeah. She was yes. Yes. there, but they it was either the legal issue or the they, or the substance issue that kept it. It was happening. the legal issues coming out of the substance issues. Right, that right. That's that. happening. Yeah. yeah. Sounds okay. about right. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. that should have happened. Yeah. I um man, I I uh, on that note, um, I always thought I don't know if you're familiar with her. I think she's out of New Zealand, but there's an artist named Bick Runga that I, I I love a lot, and I've always thought she would be perfect. Like she, hmm. there's uh there's albums that she has that to me sound like like Bond themes. Uh, wow. like songs that sound like Bond themes. Uh, she has uh, an album, uh, one of them called Birds, that uh, has a song called Say After Me, which is just like, it's it's a Bond theme song. It really is. And uh, I wish uh, she had got a chance. I mean, she's still around, so she could, but she's not on anybody's radar and they need, they, mm-hmm. they have to be, they have to be kind of a, a big thing, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in order mm-hmm. for them to, to do that. Um, so, um, 
And as far as, you know, I think we kind of mentioned it too, but as far as themes, I'd like to see that, you know, that come back, um, you know, we mentioned the double O the double O seven theme, uh, double O seven theme that I, I love so much that I wish that that was brought back into, uh, you know, continuity, so to speak. I wish, uh, the theme song for Majesty's Secret Service would be used again. It was, there was an instrumental, I want to say instrumental, there was an orchestral uh, version of it that was put on the um, uh, in the backdrop of the uh, the ads for Spectre. Yeah. Uh, and, oh yeah, that's right. And I and I've been trying to track down where that's from, but I have. It's not from Incredibles. Is it? Yes, it's Is actually it the really? first. It was done for the first Incredibles trailer. Wow! Really? The, the oh, first awesome. teaser. The first teaser for the Incredibles. Did uh, yes. Did Michael? Is it Giacomo? Did he do? Did he? Orchestrate I don't, I don't know if he orchestrated it, but it was used on the first trailer for the the first teaser trailer for the Incredibles. You so. know, if they're looking for someone, I think well suited to do mm-hmm. the score, uh, yeah. he would be perfect to do a James Bond score. For for yeah. me, it's uh, Daniel Pemberton uh, who did the score for the Man from Uncle movie. And again, no matter what you think about the movie, that's an awesome score, and he would be perfect for a Bond movie. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I think. That's all we have time for. But uh, um, it's been a lot of fun talking about James Bond music with you guys. Um, We will be right back and let you guys do some shout outs after this message. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about her top five Bond movies. So, this was kind of a hard list to put together because I love a ton of the Bond movies, but I tried to pick a good variety of old versus newer Bond for this. So, some films were left out, but it's really hard to make a top five list for so many great movies. Starting off, these are in no particular order. So, The Spy Who Loved Me. This one stands out to me the most because it was the first appearance of one of my favorite Bond villains, Jaws. And growing up watching these on TV with my dad, I just remember him so well. And he stood out as a Bond villain to me. I mean, he shows up three times in the films, but watching The Spy Who Loved Me and watching his appearance there, I just remember him being terrifying. Next up is Live and Let Die. I watched these films growing up with my dad, and Roger Moore's Bond films were the ones that were always on TV. You occasionally had Sean Connery films in there too, but for the most part, it was Roger Moore. And Roger Moore's humor in the role just really stood out to me. And the fact that the villain in this film was named Mr. Big, and as a little kid, that was always really funny to me. Goldfinger. This Bond film really never you know, gets old to watch. It has his crazy gadgets. It had lots of really, like, wacky villains' names in it. And you got his iconic line of a martini shaken, not stirred in this one. Goldeneye. Now, this was the first Bond film I saw in theaters. It was also one of my favorite Nintendo 64 games to play at the time. Pierce Brosnan brought the Bond films into a more modern era and led the way for the ones that we are still getting in theaters today. Being able to see a movie in the theaters as a young child was always really impactful to me and made the characters very larger than life over watching them on TV, so this one really stood out to me growing up. And then the last one, Skyfall. Now, I'm sure you're like, huh? 
But I enjoyed Skyfall. It was super action-packed. We saw more into M's past, and it was always... And it also has my favorite of the modern era Bond film songs. I love Adele's Skyfall. I literally sing it all the time. I love that song. I would really just say to watch all the Daniel Craig Bond films if you want a good modern action spy film in general. Because also, Daniel Craig is a freaking great actor. And you should just watch all of his movies, really. But his Bond films are fantastic. Well... Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Alan Seiler, thank you so much for being here tonight. My pleasure. It's always a joy to be part of your show. I wanted to congratulate you, by the way, on that Live Aid thing performance you did the uh get together you did the oh, other yeah. night that was, was pretty so awesome dis- i was so disappointed that you couldn't do it um because you know last year you and i did a thing at my library for the 50th anniversary of woodstock and that was one of my favorite programs we have ever done at the library and i was planning on doing a live aid one at the library this year but libraries are now closed to the public so i was very disappointed that you weren't able to be on the uh no i wanted to be on me. I wanted to be on it, but it was Monday night. And that's when we always record. Earth I know. One. And yeah, I know. if I would have gotten a little further notice, we could have maybe moved it. The well, show. had I thought of doing it that way earlier, I certainly would have let you know. Because I would <laughs> have literally, loved it. Like, I literally thought of it. And we were messaging. And I thought, I mean, it was literally at that same time that I was putting it together when you messaged me. So. You know what? You know what we should do? We should say right. right here. That next year, during the anniversary of Live Aid, we will do a show about it. Because we've never done a show about Live Aid. I'm I'm there. I'm there. (laughs) Let's do it. I'm totally cool. I sat for all frippin' show. Me too. We were painting our bedroom, but it was, you know, we we had the TV on with MTV going. Mm -hmm. And we we watched the whole performance. It was awesome. Even everything from Phil Collins taking the frippin' Concord to, you know, <laughs> seeing the performances of Led Zeppelin's Reunited, The Who, Queen, U2, God, you know, the Hooters opened, you know, it was awesome. It was just awesome to see them in Philadelphia. You know, it was just so many good bands. And of course, the Bond tie in there right now is that nice. that was when. Uh, that was the first. You- that was when View to a Kill yep, was yep. huge on the charts, and Duran Duran was riding pretty high with it. And that was actually the last song they wrote and recorded before they broke up. Yep, yep. And it's the moment that uh, a Bond song had its li- biggest ever audience. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. For a sing- single uh, experience of a Bond song, was mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was the day my wife and I got engaged. Oh, oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> So yeah, and we were ba- we were bouncing between people's houses and pubs, trying to catch every. Act. It was like, oh, there's an act on we don't like. Get in the car, brush to the next place. <laughs> right? Oh, right. that is awesome. So, but we yeah. made it to the we made it to the pub in time for the Queen performance. So that was to, to watch that That's in important. a crowd in a pub, just like in the movie, was just like awesome. Right. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. But Alan, you definitely have a, a seat at the table for that one. Sweet, thank you. Yes, that would be definitely. 
cool. God, that was the year I graduated high school. Jesus. <laughs> right, right before I went away to uh, community college for the first time. All right. Uh, Alan J. Porter. Thank you, sir. A pleasure as always. Thanks for having me back on the show. Always enjoy Anything it. you want to promote, my friend? Um, yeah, I guess the podcast that we mentioned a couple of times, as, uh, as Mike mentioned, uh, we have a James Bond podcast network called On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, which you can find on all your favorite uh, podcast platforms. Uh, we have a variety of shows. We have a movie review show with myself and Van Allen Plexico, where we have done all 25 movies plus Never Say Never plus Casino Royale. And we just finished that out. Um, we have a Rookie Agents show where we have folks who are new to the James Bond franchise experiencing various aspects of the Bond uh, entertainment for the first time and recording their reactions, which is fun. And then we have the music show, uh, Bond Music, Six of the Best, which is once a month, and we are working our way through all the soundtracks. And as I said, we, as of this recording, and have just done uh, The Living Daylight, so just moved into the Timothy Dalton era, but all the other ones uh, in there, again, including the soundtracks of Casino Royale and Never Say Never, as well as the official Eon Bond tracks. And if you want, are on Twitter, you can follow uh, me at... at bond lexicon and you can find the podcast at ohms pod that is awesome and we'll have that up in our show notes of course and mr michael gordon thank you sir and as always it's my pleasure anything you got to shout out about my friend um i gotta do a little promotion here because i'm finally uh spreading my wings and and branching out a little bit on my own with uh my own podcast it'll be available uh to our patrons first uh, it is the new legend lounge i am debuting both episodes one and two this week uh so you will find those on uh various links just go to esonetwork.com uh, or a patron, or you can go to newlegendmike.com because the links will be there as well. And uh, yeah, we've got um, the premise is candid conversations with creators. And uh, I've had a lot of fun recording the first two episodes and uh, there's going to be more to come. So I'm really excited about it. I am so looking forward to seeing what you come up with, my friend. That That is very interesting. Yeah. Yep. It should be a lot of fun. And eventually you'll be part of the ESO network. So it'll be awesome. So I, cool. yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. You might, you'll have to see if you pass the audition first though. You'll have to see. <laughs> oh man. The hazing. Do you, is the do you have any part. references? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gordon, I, eh? You know, I think, hmm. I think I might, I think I might know a guy. Yeah. You might know a guy. You might know a guy or have black man material. I don't know which one's first. So it should be interesting to see. Uh, first off, um, Mr. Mike Gordon, thank you so, so much for recommending last week, the old guard. We watched it last night. It was a lot of fun. A little predictable, but it was a lot of fun. Um, was an enjoyable way to spend a Sunday night. Uh, Charlize Theon was great in the episode or movie, which almost felt like it was like a pilot. It feels like a pilot, for, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. It definitely does for a series of movies or a TV series. It, but it was it was fun. It was entertaining, and it was just like. Judy was even into it. And so it was, that was a good thing. So it was cool. 
since, um, since I gave my shout out uh, last week, I actually read the comic series or the first volume that it's based on. And it's really uh, a great adaptation. Uh, I would go, I would suggest going back and, and looking at the source material as well, because it's, there's a second volume out too. So that might help predict where things are going to go uh, if they do some more, but um, it's a, it's a great series, whether you're watching it or reading it. Mm-hmm. Well, the mid credit scene was a little predictable and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, <laughs> but it was when Nick Fury came out. Oh, sorry. Exactly. I Damn it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He was talking about the Avengers initiative again. Come on. So it was a lot of fun. But my big shout out, I wanted to give a big shout out to one of the shows on the network. Let's give a great big shout out to the Rusted Robot podcast, Sean Vandaloo. He hit episode 300 of the Rusted Robot. Congratulations. Awesome. That, is a, that is a big milestone. I remember mm-hmm. when we years ago when we hit number 300 and it was a big thing for us and i'm really impressed with what him and you know his crew up there in canada are coming up with and he has a lot of different projects going on but definitely check them out rustedrobot.com or part of the eso network you can check it out at esonetwork.com i'm very also happy to announce that earth station one is now available Ready for this? On Pandora. That's right, folks. You can hear Earth Station One on your Pandora subscription. And just go add it to your list. And we're there every week. Uh, The Dragon Con Report is also up there now. So you'll be able to hear that. And speaking of the Dragon Con Report, by the time this one goes live, within a couple days, you're going to be hearing the new episode of the Dragon Con Report. Uh, We'll be talking about Virtual Con 2020. episode. (laughs) <laughs> not as short as our no, last one where we did a five a five minute episode where we didn't know what we were talking about yeah, really <laughs> so so it'll be real interesting to see what happens with dragon con and what they have to announce uh we might have some announcements very soon about earth station one participating in some projects so i know earth station who is also lined up for stuff so we got stuff coming don't worry we thought the con season was over we're going virtual so it's not like we don't anyway each week, but that's a whole different story. So with that being said, join us again next week. We're going back to the movies once again with classic summer movie-thon. That's right. We are going to be looking at Airplane 1 and 2. It should be a lot of fun. And don't call me Shirley. Oh so it God. should be a lot of fun to talk about. So with that being said, my name is Mike Faber. On behalf of myself, Mr. Mike Gordon, the two Allens, we will see you here next time here on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we are done, and please take care of yourselves. Ciao. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Thank you.